pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we're thankful for the hymns and songs of the faith. And Lord, we're thankful most of all for the truth that they tell us. We ask now that you would help us to sing praises to your name, Lord, and that you would take the burdens and the struggles of this life. And Lord, let us set them aside for a few moments as we investigate your word, guide and direct and bless us, Lord, that we may serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, we finished 1 John and then Sunday night we did 2 John and I felt like we just need to finish up a few things here. And so let's just take 3 John on tonight. The book of 3 John, uh, the second shortest book in the Bible. Of course, 2 John is the shortest, not in the number of verses, but actually in the number of words. Well, actually, no, maybe I got that backwards. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Two shortest books in the Bible. And Second John, if we remember, he is writing to the elect lady and her children, and he rejoices that her children are walking in the faith. And I want you just to kind of keep that in mind as we come here to Third John. It says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, Thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but the atrophies, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust that I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. And so in this short book, we, we see a decidedly different turn in, in John's message. He is addressing a young man named Gaius. And what we infer from the things that he writes about Gaius, that Gaius was actually John's Timothy. That, that he was someone that John had trained in the ministry. He said, to, to Gaius, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And uh, it would be very unusual 
for John, being a Jew, to have a son with a Greek name, Gaius. Uh, and so we would, we would think, we would understand that somewhere in John's travels, in his ministry for the Lord, he met Gaius. And he trained him, he took him under his wing, and now he is writing him. And, and this book just lets us see into the personality and the character traits uh, that God wants to develop, as well as some of the ones that come about that God doesn't want. Uh, John just outlines them for us. Uh, when the students were here from Heartland, one of the things that students in Bible college talk about, especially Heartland, is books. Uh, can you recommend any good books, Pastor? And, uh, I'll tell you the books I like to read. Uh, I like to, I like to read books that tell the lives of real people. I learn more listening and reading about a real person's life. Then, then you do some made-up story or even uh, most of the time some book that was written to address some issue in the church. Uh, you know, tell me something else I don't already know. I mean, uh, I remember one time somebody wrote this whole book on how critical the issue of world evangelism is. And I'm sitting there going, now maybe it's just me. But the way I look at a book like that is, where have you been, what have you been doing that you finally wake up and write a book on something that the whole Bible is about? Am I the only one that thinks that way? I I hope not. But it always troubles me when someone comes to the amazing point of something that's very plainly spelled out in the Bible. I just wonder who they've been with and what they're thinking that all of a sudden it's dawned on them that something the Bible says very true, whether it's world evangelism or parents raising your children or, or just uh, abstaining from worldliness. Uh, I just wonder where they've been that all of a sudden they have to wake up and feel the urge to write a book about something when all you have to do is read what the Bible says. And what we see here is just a little window into the life of this man named Gaius. And John's part that he had in his life. And John greets him a very unusual way. He says, verse 2, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Now, There's nothing wrong with that, but he he puts a caveat, he puts a condition on that. He says, even as thy soul prospereth. He says, I want your physical health and your physical prosperity to reflect the spiritual prosperity that I know is in your soul. Now, what would happen? Just a thought here. What would happen if your physical health and your physical bank account reflected your relationship with God? That'd be a scary thought, wouldn't it? 
Now, of course, if you go to the naming and claiming or the deliverance people, they'll tell you, oh, if you're right with God, you'll have lots of money and, and, and you'll have all your problems met and everything's on easy street. And, 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 but they always end that with send me money first. Uh, I never have quite figured that out other than the fact that if they have a bunch of poor people sending them a little bit of money, They'll, that one person will have a lot of money. The book of Jude talks about those that make merchandise of the gospel. And that's not what we're about. But he's telling Gaius, he wishes to Gaius, he says, I know your spiritual prosperity. I wish it were reflected in your health and in your physical prosperity. And again, that kind of shoots down this idea that just because you have the one, you will have the other. Amen? And John is sending him a warm and a personal greeting here. And he says, I'm rejoicing because I know what's going on because people who visited you have visited me. And they told me good things about what you're doing, Gaius. Now, if you're careful in reading your Bible, this ought to be one of those little beacons going off. There's something good to follow here. There's something here that I am supposed to emulate in my life. There's some things that I need to do. And John says, I have no greater joy. And I I will tell you, uh, there is no greater joy than than just watching Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church being up there when they hosted the fellowship meeting and the preachers coming in and all the things that happened there and paying off the property and and uh, were just, uh, uh, I, I hope that you're as excited as I am about all the miracles at Union Baptist. And you need to keep praying because we need a lot of them in succession in the next four to six weeks. Uh, to make some things happen here so that we can get this roof on and get all the approvals and everything done. And uh, don't forget to pray for Vincent. And I've remarked about his obtuse behavior on more than one occasion. Well, I know where he got it from now. Uh, His mother's been over to see me. And so uh, this has not been very pleasant. And I, I need you to pray. Pray for patience. And pray that we can get this job done and get out of their backyard uh, forever. Amen. Uh, so just just pray about that. Uh, it, it has been somewhat of a trial, and uh, but uh, I'd just like to ask her sometime: Is this the way you treat everybody you want a favor from? I mean, wow. Uh, so just uh, uh, appreciate uh, your prayers on that point, but. I'd rather put up with the problems and have the miracle of the building than not have the problems and not have the building. Amen. Uh, We've got to understand that the devil doesn't want this thing to happen. And And you don't fight the devil by saying, I hate the devil. If you want to fight the devil, here's how you do it. You worship the Lord. From your heart. 
on a daily basis. There's nothing that uh, fights the devil more than that. And John is saying, listen, the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. He said, you walk in truth. He said, really, if we wanted to break this down into vernacular, what John is saying is, that's my boy. That's what I trained you to do, and now you're choosing to do it on your own. This is part of, of, of what real parenting is. You want to guide your children in decisions that they make. And if you don't guide your children in decisions they make when they're five years old, there's just something wrong with you as a parent. Uh, when they're younger than that, you make every decision for them. Um, uh, I've had people say, well, how do you know, Sarah's asked, how do you know how much food to give them and all these little things? And I said, it's very simple. They, they'll eat, amen? Uh, but you've got to watch them. You've got to help them. You've got to guide them. You've got to train them. It says, when does training start? Uh after you hear the first cry, amen? Uh, no, you don't discipline babies. All right. But, you know, babies will get spoiled. They'll want you to pick them up all the time. And you have to be careful with them. Not harsh, but you have to make them know that they are loved and they are cared for. And that they're not going to just have everything their way. And uh, it's a wonderful thing when they finally get old enough to start making decisions. And they say, I didn't think you would like this, so I didn't do it. You go, yes, that's what we're looking for. Amen. And, uh, And this is what John is saying. And then he goes on to give the list of things that Gaius does. Now, these are things that we ought to incorporate in our lives. We ought to see. He says, Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou dost to the brethren and to strangers. Can anybody think of a passage of Scripture that this closely Uh, illustrates and mimics. How about James chapter 2? You cannot have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. You know what? We don't want to treat one set of people one way and another group. This is one of the reasons why uh, I just repudiate this whole marketing approach to evangelism. Well, you've got to find your target group. Uh, yes, for God so loved the world. I got it. No, no, no. You need to narrow it down. You're not going to reach the whole world. No, no. Just the part of it that lives in in uh, New York City. Well, you're not going to reach the whole city. No. But uh, we'll we'll take those that accept the gospel tracts and find us on the Internet and God brings us into fellowship with them. Listen, we want to reach people. We're not going to be looking for uh, specific age groups or 
or specific genres of our society today, what we're looking for is for people. And Gaius, he did what he did faithfully to both the saved and the unsaved. That's what the word stranger simply meant. Brethren is people in the church and strangers are those people that weren't in the church. And Gaius treated people like people. Years ago, I was in a place and, and a guy was talking and he was trying to say, well, 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 you know, talking about a certain segment of our population and what we should call them and all of that. And I just about had enough of it. I was just trying to get some screws or something at the hardware store and having to put up with all this. And I just looked over at the counter. It was a fairly large store, but he could hear me. I said, why don't you just ask him his name? And he looked, well, maybe you're right. And I got my stuff and got out of there. I mean, we don't need to be all these different kinds of Americans or Christians. We celebrate the heritage that God's given us every year at our missions conference. And we have a fun time doing that. I have eaten one balut. They said that makes me an honorary uh, Filipino. And uh, praise God, I hope I never have to take the test again. Amen? But we enjoy serving the Lord together. And that's what Gaius did. Now look at the second thing. It says, Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Now there's some that have tried to make this uh, a Jewish jibe at the Gentile Christians. But let me ask you a question. Is Gaius a Jewish name? Uh, no. And, and so what John was doing was John was just... Again, we get to see a little bit into the culture and the upbringing. John was raised as a Jewish person. There were two types of people in the world when John, uh, before John met John the Baptist, before John met Jesus. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. John didn't have any problem using the same nomenclature referring to the church. There are saved. And there are Gentiles. There are those who are part of the world. And he is just using that word in that simple way. And what he's talking about here in verses 6 and 7 is exactly what we did in sending a little love offering to Brother Price. He, wasn't, he didn't travel here, but he had a need. And some, still has a need in some churches got together and a pastor called me and told me about the need and and we were able, I hope, to, to be a little bit of a blessing to this family in their time of need. That's one of the reasons why I encourage you to give to missions so that when our missionaries come and visit, 
we can send them with a nice love offering. You see, missionaries live when they're on deputation. They basically live off their love offerings and uh, the offerings that churches give them. And so we try to be um, as generous as we possibly can. But one of the best ways of doing that is when they're with us Sunday morning, maybe with Brother Saravia the same morning, and then in the evening they get to be in another church and we let them kind of camp out in the mission room for a few days so they're not paying hotel rooms. And guess what? Nobody has to do an extraordinary amount, but we take care of the missionaries very well that way. And and this is simply what Gaius was doing. Because we don't want to. Uh, and, and actually we see a little change here from uh, the... Uh, Works of the Apostle Paul, when Paul was, uh, was in a place starting a church and he didn't have enough income, what did he do? He literally made tents. He worked a physical job. And here, when we get to 3 John, uh, uh, obviously one of the later of the letters, he's saying these preachers are going about living only from the churches so that they can be devoted full-time to the ministry. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Every once in a while you run into someone who says, well, I, I, think, I think pastors ought to work a job like everybody else. I'll trade you. I'll let you go over and climb the scaffolding at Union. Amen? Uh, but the uh, simple truth is that when we do this, when you provide, when you make it easy for the preacher, the missionary, the evangelist, yay, and your own pastor, you know what happens? More gets done for the ministry. Because it's easier to do the work. And don't forget assistant pastors and secretaries and janitors and all of those people that work in the church. Uh, the simple thing is, this, in verse 8 says, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And I can't help but see the contrast between this and the second letter of John, where he's writing to them that hold false doctrine. He says, don't take them into your house. Don't bid them God's speed. Don't say, God bless you. Uh, he says, because you're going to be a partaker of their evil deeds. He said, but... The people that are serving God and those missionaries that are doing the job and those evangelists that, that do a great job, he says, you want to be a blessing to them. Because the exact same rule holds true in reverse. We, how many missionaries have, we come, have come our way and said, the fruit on the field's not mine, it belongs to churches like this one. I mean, almost every missionary that's returned from the field has said something like that. Because they believe the same Bible that we do. And that's why it's important. This is Gaius. Now we're going to meet another guy. Diotrephes. Diotrephes. Somebody said his name means raised of Jupiter. Now, since Jupiter was never a real person, I don't know how that works, but uh, the God of the Romans... 
it says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Now, it's kind of interesting here, and I don't know that anybody has the full answer, but here we have Gaius, who is showing his charity before the church. We have Gaius who is receiving the brethren. We have Gaius who's sending them on their way, who's being faithful to, uh, in his love and his service for the believers and the unbelievers alike. No respect of persons. And then we meet Diotrephes. And, and John says, I wrote the church, and Diotrephes uh, refused to even receive my letter. And I'll give you what I believe the simplest uh, answer to this was there was more than one church in the area where Gaius was ministering. And he addresses each church as the church because each individual church in God's eyes is a complete body of Christ as if it were the only one in existence. That's the best way I know how to explain it is there is no universal church. And someone says, well, what about the universal church in heaven? And my favorite answer always is, you just answered it. Where is this universal church? It's assembled in one spot, in one place, in heaven. Amen? And and so the, the Bible only teaches about a local church and a local assembly. Apparently, Gaius had one church. Dr. Feast had a different kind of church. He loved to have the preeminence among them. Have you ever met somebody that wouldn't carry their own briefcase? I mean, you see them on TV all the time, I guess. I don't know. I don't watch any of these modern shows. But you, you, you see people who are so important and they know how important they are. Well, that was Diotrephes. Uh, this whole idea of a pope, one of the earliest records that we have was this bishop in the city of Rome said, Uh, I am not above all the other bishops. I am the first among equals. Well, how can you be the first among equals and still be equal? And I have met many of these quote-unquote great, well-known preachers that were well-known when I was a young man and... uh, And I will tell you this, I've met those who think they're great, but those who truly are treat me just like they do everybody else. Sounds like Gaius. I love taking people to Heartland, because invariably Brother Sam will come up and shake my hand and, who do you have with you? And I'll introduce him and I'll say, who was that? I said, that was the president of the Bible college. Well, he, he shook my hand. Oh, yeah. This isn't New York City. Amen? Uh, this isn't some political ga- uh, uh, event here. 
Nobody is looking to be top dog. You see, that's where Diotrephes was. And I will tell you this. Look at the presidential elections. There are people who love to trumpet their greatness. Little play on words there. Um, and there are people who follow them. Same way with preachers. There are some preachers that trumpet their greatness. That doesn't mean they're totally bad and they don't preach uh, anything of the gospel. I've known some great gospel preachers who have gotten off on a diatrophies track. They, they, they just wanted to be recognized. I knew one of the guys, he would walk in to the preacher's meeting late just so everybody would stop and recognize him. That was somewhat disconcerting to me until I read the story of Diotrephes and I understood that there are just going to be some people like that. Don't you be one. Amen? Don't believe your own press clippings. You hired the guy that wrote them. Amen? Uh, it'll save you a lot of trouble over the years. But here was Diotrephes, and he got so wrapped up in himself that uh, John gives us a little look into his life. He says, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words. And not content therewith, neither doth he receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. You see, we have to be very careful here. Because invariably someone will come up and say something and, and, and we, we're not afraid to name names here. We're not, I, I am not mad at Billy Graham, but I totally disagree with his doctrine. I disagree with his philosophy of ministry. I disagree with how he does things. And I certainly most disagree with these statements that he has made in the latter part of his life, that some people were born saved and that uh, Mrs. Bush, Barbara Bush, never needs to be saved. She was born that way. Uh, No one is born that way, my friend. You must be born again. Where do you get this? Uh, The Pope is one of the finest Christians I know. Uh, These are just some quotes. We're not trying to be malicious. But there's a difference between being malicious and being honest. I've had people say to me, you, you, you believe you're the only one that's right. Is it? Now that's malicious. That is mean spirit. I don't. I'll give you a whole directory full of preachers that uh, I have fairly good confidence in that 90% of them are just as right as we are in this church. And I will tell you this about independent Baptist churches. No one, aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, can count the independent Baptist churches. And here's why. Somebody calls up and says, 
Oh, we're from such. We just want to list all the independent Baptist churches. Well, I don't want to be listed on your list. I've done that a few times myself uh, because I know some of the other guys that are on the list, and uh, that's not who we are. But doctrinal purity is not maliciousness. And by the way. What did John say in the book of First John? One of the tests of a true spirit is? You see, the Bible hadn't been completed yet. If you had the true spirit of Christ, guess who you were going to agree with? John. The fact that this guy was pratting against John and, and bad-mouthing him and saying just mean-spirited things... Uh, to to try to uh, disparage him tells us that this Diotrephes guy had no great love for Bible doctrine. He had great love for Diotrephes, of which we know is the greatest sin in the entire Bible, pride. And so it tells us that he wasn't even content with saying bad things about John, that he doesn't receive the brethren, he doesn't help the preachers on their way, uh, and he forbids the people in the church to do that, and if they don't, he, he kicks them out of the church. And here's John's rejoinder. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now, right here in this one verse, in this little passage here, what we understand was, Paul talked about in one of his letters, those that preach the gospel out of contention. And he said, I still rejoice that the gospel was preached. Does this passage here maybe throw a little bit of light on that? You see, Diotrephes was still teaching the truth. He'd just gotten a little bit too much involved in the life of Diotrephes. And he was doing some wrong things. And John said, listen, I'm going to straighten that guy out. If God will let me come for a visit and he ends the letter, I trust to see thee face to face real soon. Somebody else was going to get a visit face to face. It wasn't going to be a fun visit. It wasn't going to be a slap on the back and let's rejoice in the Lord. It's going to be, hey, we need to get some things straightened out. And again, we go through that difficult passage, 1 John chapter 3. It's mentioned again in 1 John chapter, uh, in 1 John, 2 John, <coughs> about he that committeth sin is of the devil and he that, uh, uh, liveth in righteousness, and people have tried to read sinless perfection and all kinds of things out of that verse, uh, losing your salvation. But here's just what John says. If you're living a good life, you're following God. If you're living an evil life, you're following the devil. It's just that simple. Don't try to read in all of these other things that aren't in the passage. If the Holy Spirit is truly living in you, 
Does that mean you're never going to sin? Oh, we all wish it did. Every one of us do. But it doesn't. But here's what it does mean. We're going to be drawing closer to Christ. We're going to surrender in agreement to the truth. And, of course, John held himself up as a standard of truth, which he was because the Bible was not complete. Now we have John's letters. And when someone says something, we compare them and we say, listen, we're we're not here to uh, call you names and castigate you in any way. What we're here to do is evaluate your integrity concerning Scripture. And so he finishes this with another preacher, I believe, named Demetrius. It says, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Now, what's the difference between the testimony of men and the testimony of truth? Well, the testimony of men, that's pretty simple. Just like they had visited Gaius and came and told John what was going on, apparently some of these same people had visited Demetrius and told John what was going on. The testimony of men. What's the testimony of the truth? Right here. He says, his life is in agreement, his ministry is in agreement with the Word of God. Amen? And that's what we struggle for at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Is we want conformity to the ministry, to the truth that is outlined, that is taught in the Bible. We want that to be lived through our church. And you want, no matter how long we live, we'll never do enough. But it's got to be through the Holy Spirit of God, not through our own efforts. Otherwise, we'll end up just like Diotrephes did. And so we have John here just saying, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea. And we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. You know what John is telling Gaius right here? Because the letter is addressed to Gaius. It says, Gaius, you're doing a good job. You're my son in the ministry. It thrills. I rejoice in my soul to know that you're out there doing exactly the things that I taught you because Jesus taught me, I taught you, and the truth of the gospel is still going forward. And he gave those attributes. Being faithful to people regardless of who they are. No respecter of persons. And simply loving the brethren and bringing those preachers and traveling men on their way so that they can continue in their service for God. And we get here and he talks about Diotrephes. And I'm sure Gaius knew who Diotrephes was. I'm sure the Gaius and Diotrephes had bumped heads more than once. And I'll tell you, it's a discouraging thing when you have people that have the same book and talk about the same doctrines, but you can't fellowship with them. That, that, there's nothing that wears me out like that. And John ends the book says, Don't forget about Demetrius. He's doing exactly the same thing you are. 
you're not by yourself. You see, I, I believe that John was writing to pastors of some churches that were in proximity to one another, close enough that they knew about things. This was later on. This was not the book of Acts, where Paul would go in and he start a church, and it was the only one there. Later on, things would change. Persecution under the Romans. The church would go underground. There was no way a thousand people could meet together at one spot without all getting round up and, and, and murdered. And so they would meet in their homes. And here we have Gaius, who's faithful in his service, and Diotrephes, who is faithful in the worship of himself. Does that mean Diotrephes wasn't saved? I don't know. It doesn't tell us that he wasn't. John said, I'm going to straighten him out. And one thing that's interesting here. John doesn't tell Gaius to straighten out Diotrephes. He says, that's my job as an apostle. If God gives me a chance to get there, and what he's inferring by that, if God doesn't get me a, give me a chance to get there and straighten out Diotrephes, God himself is going to straighten out Diotrephes. Because God is interested in his church. And he's interested in what goes on in his church. And the love of the brethren is one of the characteristics of the church. You know, we had some what has been called visionaries sit down and word a document called the Declaration of Independence. And they said, we believe that God has given us inalienable rights, uh, that, we're all, that all men are created equal. And people look at that and they say, see there, that was the first time in political history that that thought was brought forth by a people. Well, that's true, because Baptists had never been politicians. But that has been one of the earmarks of the Baptist church since the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the one that taught it. James, his half-brother, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, reiterated it in a way in his work. And Paul, all the way through, all of his letters told us how we're to treat other people. But you need to realize something. You're not the only one. This isn't the only church. I like to remind our guys at the Northeast meetings, we, we need to go out to Oklahoma. We need to go to some of these national meetings if, if you have a chance. Because you need to be reminded... That what goes on here in the Northeast is not the sum total of ministry. I mean, I praise God for the little bit that God allows our church to do, and, and it's extraordinary by the measure of our church. But I'll tell you what, you go out to uh, the Midwest and some of those churches, uh, they bring half our yearly budget to the Home Missions Conference and give it away in a week. Uh, we couldn't do that. Of course, we don't have a thousand or five thousand people on Sunday morning. 
Where would we put them? I'll tell you what I'd rather see. I'd rather see our church, self-supporting church here, and Brother Newberger, a self-supporting church in Greenpoint, and uh, Brother Franz in Bronx, and and, uh, we'll have a fellowship of like-minded, like-hearted churches that serve God. So when somebody comes into the city, I'm looking for a good church. Well, let me give you a list of them. And these we can recommend with all five stars. Amen? Uh, This is what we're talking about. And so, here's what John says. He finishes the book. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. You see, that is how God intends for believers to fellowship. That's why we have the family fun nights. Just to give you an opportunity to come when it's not a regular service, to enjoy yourself, and to have time together. Because life isn't all church. But we ought to be able to enjoy ourselves serving the Lord and living for Him. Amen? And it's best done face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. Greet, thy, greet the friends by name. And there was a Quaker one time said, see, that's talking about us. We're the Society of Friends. Well, excuse me, that, that's not the way it worked. The first Quakers took that verse out of the Bible and named themselves a Society of Friends. The, the sad part is, if you believe the doctrine of Quakerism, you don't believe in salvation. Because they believe in an inner light, an inner uh, follow-your-heart, basically, type thing. Uh, They refuse to believe in physical baptism. They say that's something that happens spiritually. And uh, not all Quakers, but the vast majority of them, if you follow their doctrinal statements, you don't find salvation. You find salvation in the Bible. We're not trying to be malicious here. What we're trying to do is be doctrinally honest. Because that's our duty as believers in Christ. Everything we know about God is in this book. And I want to tell you something. We're not the only church out there. Praise the Lord. There are many other churches out there. And we need to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this little book and we thank you for the truth that's in it. We ask that you would help us to emulate Gaius and to remember that there are still many other Demetriuses out there that are just being faithful, not to be discouraged by those who are not doing right, but to simply follow that which is. Help us to be obedient to your word. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. And if you need to slip out and spend a few moments, the altar's open.